0: The Triumph of Good, Divine Providence, The cain abel Paradigm, and the End of Marxism by Thomas Cromwell We are witnessing a crisis of civilization. The values that have sustained free societies under the rule of law are being undermined by materialist ideologies that are leading to the destruction of traditional institutions of faith and family as well as foundational principles of honor, fidelity, and patriotism. This steady erosion of civilizational values may be difficult for some to recognize, given the marvels of science and technology that are simultaneously transforming the world around us. Yet there are signs aplenty. The promotion of immorality in our entertainment, the dishonesty of our mass media, the suppression of dissent in our democracies, the sexual confusion among many of our youth, the moral decline of our religious institutions, the irresponsibility of our educators who lead students to reject traditional values and norms, the promotion of depressing dystopian visions of our future and the reckless spending of governments on socialist programs that our children and children's children will be forced to pay for. What is the cause of this crisis? First and foremost, it is a steady spread of materialist ideologies into the very fabric of our culture, a metastasizing of destructive theories that are rotting our civilizational foundations. This is taking place despite the sincere efforts of good and conscientious people to stem the tide of these corrosive ideas and despite the sacrifices by millions of our finest young people in the last century who defeated the totalitarian regimes built on these materialist ideologies. Next section, we thought fascism and communism were defeated. With the Allied victory in World War II, we believed we had put an end to fascism, and with the collapse of the Soviet Union 45 years later, we believed we had finally discredited Marxism and defeated communism. We were wrong. Both the fascist and communist regimes that caused so much destruction and suffering in the 20th century were based on socialist theories that put their trust and hope in powerful centralized government rather than the virtues and abilities of individuals. These socialist ideas still flourish. And we are now faced with the imminent threat of the aggressive Marxist regime in China, which is more dangerous than the former Soviet Union, as well as the unprecedented infiltration and corruption of our societies by Marxist and neo Marxist ideologies. Unlike Marxism, fascism was never a theory of political economy, rather, it was simply an authoritarian ruling ideology that was eagerly adopted by dictators of all stripes, whether socialists or capitalists. Communism, however, was another matter altogether. It appeared in the 20th century as the incarnation of 19th century materialist theories developed by Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, theories that justified violent revolution and totalitarian dictatorship. Its first true application was in the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917 after which many believers in the communist promise of a materialist utopia looked to Russia as the model society of the future. Many of these believers were shocked, however, when the truth emerged about Soviet Russia and especially when the excesses of Stalin's reign of terror came to light in 1956. Nevertheless, Despite the abysmal record of the Soviet Union and other failed communist states, Marxist ideas survived the collapse of those regimes and have been infused with new philosophical life in our time. The first such infusion occurred when Marxism was combined with Freudianism in the critical theories developed by the Frankfurt School. Later, the French postmodernists broadened the scope of critical theories to make them a comprehensive leftist program of social transformation. It is the pernicious neo-Marxism of critical theories that is now most responsible for destroying our civilization from within. next section. China's 100-year marathon to world dominion. The danger these theories pose is greatly heightened by the rapid development of a heavily militarized communist China, a Marxist-Maoist regime that shares an ideological affinity with leftist movements around the world. This affinity, coupled with an attitude of accommodation and appeasement towards China, is exploited by Beijing to advance its aggressive and expansionist international agenda and intimidate and subvert governments and institutions everywhere. Shamefully, China's meteoric rise has been fueled by massive investments from an industrialized world that is morally bankrupt. It turns a blind eye to China's murderous history, its genocide of minorities, its persecution of religious groups, and its suppression of individual freedoms. Just so corporations can profit from the vast Chinese market. The West naturally looks to China through the lens of its own interests and in history, but this is a fatal error. China has a totally different perspective drawn from its own history, and in particular the lessons from the period of warring states, 475 to 221 BC. In its more recent history, China experienced a century of international humiliation, which, starting with the First Opium War, 1839 to 1842, won by Britain, saw a series of foreign invasions and occupations that stoked national resentment towards the West, and westernized states the chinese communist party believes that this era came to an end only when it took power in 1949. from that point on the ccp has been pursuing a 100-year marathon a strategy to redress its past grievances by overtaking america as the world's superpower by 2049 at the latest the ccp claims it has assumed the mandate of heaven as the defender of Chinese honor. Its ideology is a clever combination of the ancient Chinese theory that there can be only one global hegemon, which they think is rightfully China, and the Marxist theory that history is an inexorable process of class warfare, leading to the inevitable victory of the revolutionary class under the leadership of a socialist dictatorship. The next section. We are facing a two-headed beast china is no longer a distant threat it has breached our weak defenses and is in our midst its agents enablers and apologists are scattered throughout our society and its network of allies is steadily encircling us backed with beijing's ever-growing financial and military power in public china espouses a multipolar world but in practice it is working to achieve its own global hegemony it is greatly aided in this by the leftist movements around the world thus communist china in the east and marxist and neo-marxist movements primarily in the west are two heads of the same beast that is slowly but surely killing our sacred traditions and trampling our civilization to death this soulless and diabolical two-headed beast is our nemesis our malignant enemy to confront and defeat the beast. We have to know its nature and the nature of the threat it poses we have to understand its motivation and strategy in this endeavor we have the benefit of history which amply reveals the nature of materialist ideologies in the record of their totalitarian predations these ideologies may have evolved over time but their core justification for hatred and conflict have remained looking at the bloodshed of the last century which is measured in the deaths of tens of millions of innocents, we really have no choice but to stand up and fight the beast we face today. The alternative is truly dark. It is a future similar to the present experienced by those living under the CCP today, privilege for those in the ruling class and persecution for anyone at odds with the regime. We should not be fooled by calming reassurances of peaceful intentions from Beijing or by the professions of idealism from the leftists in our midst make no mistake the beast is evil it is our mortal enemy if it succeeds it will kill or enslave all of us the next section how did we get here we find ourselves confronting today the most powerful and sinister ideology in history how do we get to the point where our faith and belief systems have proven unable to stop the growth of Marxist ideologies and movements. Britain's 1689 Glorious Revolution and the subsequent American Revolution of 1776 were historic milestones in the development of free and prosperous societies. These revolutions challenged monarchies, secured God-given rights for people to live in democracies, and set in motion unprecedented advances for all humanity. But while successful, these revolutions did not anticipate the atheistic doctrines of Marx, Engels, Marcuse, Foucault, and others, and they have not offered a convincing answer to the criticisms leveled against free and capitalist societies by the ideologues of the left. This is because Marxist and neo-Marxist theories challenge not only political systems, whether monarchies or democracies, but also the religion-based ideas and values that undergird our civilization and institutions. It is clear that neither Judeo-Christian principles and values of the West, nor traditional Asian values and philosophies of the East have been able to successfully counter and defeat materialist ideologies or block the aggressive rise of communist China. Consequently, the liberties we now enjoy are in grave danger Looking at the dire situation of the world today, people of faith and goodwill everywhere must recognize that despite their prodigious efforts to build free and just societies, they have not been able to stave off, let alone eliminate the forces of materialism, violent revolution and totalitarian oppression. We must find a new frame of reference to address this manifestation of evil. A new section the Cain-Abel paradigm. To understand evil in the world today, we must look to the beginning of human existence when evil was first introduced to the world. In the biblical story, the first human family failed to fulfill its responsibilities and consequently introduced patterns of evil behavior into human relations that have bedeviled us ever since. This book uses that scriptural account of the origin of good and evil to explain how these two primordial, but antithetical forces influence human nature and behavior and how they have shaped ideas and history. Our particular interest is to identify how good and evil manifest in opposing attitudes and behaviors and explain the contradictory belief systems that emerge from them. All people experience a struggle between conflicting forces within themselves a desire to do good that is at war with a tendency to do evil. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn put it in the Gulag Archipelago, quote, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? End quote. Our response to these conflicting impulses determines our behavior, good and bad. The Genesis story of Cain and Abel reveals that members of the first human family inherited this internal conflict due to their alienation from the Creator. Thus, the internal struggle between good and evil within individuals was externalized when Cain, the elder son, became bitter when his sacrifice was rejected by God and in a fit of jealous rage murdered his younger brother, Abel whose offering had been accepted by God. Cain's attitude and behavior established him as the archetype of evil, while Abel became the archetype of good. Evil's dominion of good in the first family established a pattern that has been repeated throughout history. As Jordan Peterson pointed out in a lecture he gave in 2017, Cain and Abel are quote, prototypical human beings. Humanity enters history at the end of the story of Adam and Eve, and then the archetypal patterns of human behavior are instantaneously presented. The first two human beings engage in a fracticidal struggle that ends in the death of the best one of them. That's the story of human beings in history." The importance of the biblical story lies not in its historical accuracy, but in the truth it reveals about human nature and behavior and about the nature of good and evil in general. In the Genesis account, Cain is jealous, resentful, accusatory, violent, and murderous. Abel is faithful, patient, persevering, humble, and obedient. These opposite character types produce conflicting attitudes, ideas, and behaviors that are reflected in fundamentally different worldviews. This is the Cain-Abel paradigm, the principle that governs the relationships between people alienated from God in history and the world. It recognizes that the world we live in is not the world of God's original intent, but a world in which evil has dominion over good, after the pattern of Cain dominating Abel. And since Cain was born first, in this world, evil precedes good. The problem caused by evil preceding good is exacerbated by evil typically masquerading as good, sowing confusion and mistrust. Consequently, many good people have been deceived into doing evil, often with the best of intentions. Understanding the cain paradigm enables us to see clearly what is really taking place in history and the world around us, and to discern what is actually good or what is actually evil. In this book, we demonstrate how the Cain-Abel paradigm can be used to recognize the evil that lies behind Marxism and related materialist ideologies, and how the forces of good can finally gain enduring supremacy over them. This is the triumph of good. It portends the demise of Marxism and an end to Cain's dominion of the world. A new section. Cain and Abel in history and the world today. Why is it that despite the tremendous advances of the past century, Marxism and its evil ideological offspring have been able to gain such a strong grip on the civilized world? The answer can be found within the Cain-Abel paradigm. As Winston Churchill said, and I quote, the story of the human race is war. Except for brief and precarious interludes, there has never been peace in the world. And before history began, murderous strife was universal and unending, End quote. This history of violent conflict and war is a legacy of the conflict between Cain and Abel. Although evil often dominates good, ultimately, through great effort, Abel has sometimes found the way to prevail over Cain. Indeed, despite the prevalence of evil, history demonstrates that good advances incrementally as people of virtue sacrifice themselves for the sake of divine providence. For example, when Jacob won over his embittered elder twin Esau, after 21 years of hardship in haran he was able to establish the 12 tribes as the foundation for the chosen nation of israel and when millions of good people made incredible sacrifices to defeat totalitarianism in the 20th century they protected freedom and opened the way for liberty to spread around the world thus while cain type successes have resulted in setbacks for human progress able-type successes have resulted in ever-increasing human enlightenment and progress. Materialist ideologies, in particular Marxism and his offshoots, arose from Cain-type attitudes of jealousy and resentment. Therefore these ideas appeal to and stimulate Cain-type nature. This is why a Marxist or other materialist is typically driven by insatiable envy resentment and is willing to justify violence to achieve his ends. We assert that Cain-type ideology has evolved over time as part of human development and reached its culmination in atheistic Marxism and its neo-Marxist offshoots. These malignant theories advocate resolving differences and resentments through accusation and violence as if Cain was right all along. They promise An earthly communist utopia in the here and now, thereby exploiting the otherworldliness of Christianity and other religions that offer a reward for goodness in another invisible world. Often well-meaning but naive and misinformed people continue to follow the Pied Pipers of the left because the evil in Cain's materialist ideologies is cloaked in the guise of virtue. And their advocates claim to have the interests of all people at heart but the promises of the beast are always belied by his actions marxism and neo-marxism have not created a single example of a peaceful prosperous or just society new section this is the hour of decision evil has always been with us but never before has it been as successfully embodied in ideology as it is in Marxism and Neo-Marxism. This, compounded by the fact that these theories cleverly disguise their true nature and intent, makes this moment more dangerous for the future of humanity than the rise of Nazi Germany or the establishment and expansion of the Soviet Empire. We have reached this critical point because of the civilized world's naivete Or willful disregard for the imminence of the threat. As at the time of World War II, this is an hour of decision for the world and especially for America which continues to be the one nation on earth capable of withstanding and reversing the spread of Marxist ideology and power. Faced with this stark reality, it is time for the sleeping giant to awaken once more. We can no longer appease the beast. To succeed, this task must be shared by all able type people of faith and goodwill whose very existence is threatened by atheistic ideologies, just as Abel was threatened and murdered by Cain. There are some 4.3 billion members of monotheistic religions whose biblical and Quranic scriptures include almost identical accounts of Cain and Abel. All these and other people of conscience should be able to recognize the threat posed by evil Cain-type theories and the movements inspired by them, and set aside what are ultimately petty differences to confront and overcome the common atheistic enemy. If allowed, this enemy will destroy our freedom and annihilate anyone who stands in its way. We must reject the seductions of the left and work together to build a world in which every one of us can fulfill his or her true destiny under the mandate of divine providence. This book sheds light on how that can be done. A new section, our personal responsibility. We contend that insufficient attention has been given to the importance of human responsibility in the shaping of providential history. As we will show, the providence advances when individuals fulfill their responsibilities and suffer setbacks when they fail to do so. The implication is clear. Divine providence is not dependent on God alone, but on humanity participating in the realization of the Creator's purpose. Thus, we cannot simply wait for God to solve our problems. In today's world, Our responsibility is to understand and confront the twin dangers of leftist ideology and communist China, to defeat the two-headed beast once and for all. Our response to their evil ideas and aggressive behavior must be spiritual and ideological as well as political. We have to reject their pernicious social justice agenda with its wokeism and cancel culture and restore faith to its proper place at the center of society. And we have to do whatever we can to stop the communist regime in China from persecuting its own people and from spreading its evil influence abroad. As President John F. Kennedy said in the closing words of his 1961 inaugural address, and I quote, Finally, whether you are citizens of America or citizens of the world, Ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you. With a good conscience, our only sure reward, with history the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking His blessing and His help, but knowing that here on earth God's work must truly be our own." The importance of our personal responsibility in this work is articulated well in a line attributed to John Stuart Mill. Quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing, End quote. True as that is, it implies the broader meaning that we are advocating in this book. The only thing necessary for the triumph of good is for all good men and women to fulfill their God-given responsibilities.
1: Okay, this is the commentary on the preface. What are our civilization values, Thomas?
0: In the Western world, our civilizational values derive from our faith, primarily Christian but also supplemented i would say by judaism so judeo-christian values they are the values of the belief in the divine belief in the centrality of the family in society um, the belief of the order that should reign within society centered on these principles and these type of basic um moral values which underpin democracy which is our political system and the ideologies that we pursue in other words the ideologies that shape our activities in the world should be rooted in those values and in the in the western civilization are rooted in those values in the east they have their own traditions Taoism, confucianism and so on which support their moral values, their family structures, their societal hierarchies, and so on. What exactly is destroying these values? The Marxist ideology and its offshoots both are opposed to these values, you know, by their definition. They are anti-religion, in other words, atheistic. They are anti-family. Marx sought to destroy the family they are against society built on those values so what comes out what comes out of their ideology is ideas programs action activities that are, surround their own theory which is that everything progresses through conflict this is the so-called dialectic or in stalin's terms the dialectical materialism basically marxism sees everything as as having contradictions which it does but that those contradictions are fundamentally opposites and therefore they enter into some sort of struggle with one another and that struggle is resolved by the emergence of a a new entity so it's a thesis confronted by an antithesis and what emerges from their struggle is a new thesis which then becomes the new, sorry, uh, excuse me, let me say that again, just cut that out. So in the Marxist view, there's a thesis opposed by an antithesis and from their struggle emerges a new synthesis, which is a more advanced existence. But that synthesis itself becomes a new thesis contradicted by a new antithesis and so on. So Marx believed that Newton's theory of evolution explained this in the animal kingdom and he believed he had the theory that took it scientific socialism that took it into the realm of economics in the realm of history and so on the marxist idea then the basis of it is that progress comes through conflict between opposites the theistic theory is that progress comes through cooperation between the two different types of creation: the male and the female, the masculine and the feminine, and so on. So that's a cooperative relationship that produces offspring and new life. whereas for the materialist it’s a conflictual relationship. So Marx believed that the only way to change the capitalist world was to have violent revolution. It could not be nonviolent, it had to be violent because the capitalist entities, particularly, the bourgeoisie, the ruling class, had to be destroyed in order for a new society to to emerge, a new synthesis, which he believed was socialism. He also believed that socialism would be guided by a dictatorship of the proletariat into communism, and that would be a sort of ideal utopian world. So the Marxist ideas are completely counter to the theistic ideas at the heart of our civilization.
1: What is the relationship between fascism and
0: communism? Fascism is is not an ideology. It's a system of dictatorship. And so communism can be, and is, fascistic. Communism, by, by contrast, is based on Marxist theory. Marxism Uh, dialectical materialism, historical materialism, excuse me, and the addition particularly of Lenin's contributions to Marxism, so-called Marxism-Leninism. And in the case of China, Marxism-Leninism took on a Maoist shade. So Marxism-Maoism became the foundation for the Chinese Communist Party.
1: Why is it important to understand this now under the current
0: situation that we're experiencing. Well, you can't win a war if you don't even know you're in a war. The left looks at us as the target of its hostility. As I've mentioned, the Marxists always see the ta- there's always they believe that there's always something that must be destroyed. The same is true in postmodernism on critical theories. Colt, who's a sort of the great genius of critical theories, believed that all social constructs that exist or we inherited have to be attacked and pulled apart. It's called deconstruction, so that something better can emerge. That's why you see on the left, they're forever attacking our families, they're attacking our faith, they're attacking our traditions, um, our academic institutions, our government institutions, Everything has to be attacked and brought down so that something new can appear. So if we don't understand this is what we're facing, this is the actual war we're in, how can we possibly win it?
1: Why is China under the Chinese Communist Party so important?
0: China inherited the Soviet position in the world as the major... Communist nation that both spawns and supports any number of satellites and dependent states, um, parties throughout the world, corruption of the world, and so on. We know the Chinese, China, the China under the Chinese Communist Party, is engaged in all these activities, and with all the money they've received. From the investment of the capitalist world in their economy, they're able to do it much more successfully than the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union was always weak economically. Socialism doesn't work. So they they could only take their superpower posture by devoting much of their budget to the military and security agencies like the KGB. That's how they that's how they gained the profile of a superpower superpower but their economy was never a superpower economy that's not true of china
1: what is the significance of the 100 year marathon
0: this is a theory that's supported by a lot of evidence that the chinese communist party believes that it ended the period of chinese subjugation by other powers especially european powers Uh, For example, in the opium wars, which were won by European powers, and which humiliated China. They believe in the theory, which comes from their warring states era, that there's one hegemon, one natural hegemon in the world. So China is destined to become that hegemon by 2049. That is 100 years after the Chinese Communist Party took power. In China in 1949. So in 2049, uh, that hundred-year period will come to fruition. So they believe they're working towards that goal, and their destiny is to achieve that goal. Uh, what are the two heads of the beast? <laughs> That's just an image I try to uh, I use to try and create a picture that shows that we're faced with sort of two enemies that they're connected. The one is the internal enemy destroying our civilization, so-called cultural Marxism, neo-Marxism. The other is Marxism in the form of um, dictatorial, aggressive regimes, in particular China. So just to finish that idea, the cultural enemy is, destroying us from within, the regime energy is challenging us and destroying us from the outside. Mm -hmm. So together, they make an enormous threat for our survival.
1: And in what way do we deal with them differently?
0: With the cultural uh, beast, we need ideological answers to their positions frankly, which we haven't had, we have to ask the question, how did Marxism take root in Christian society in Europe initially and spread through Christian society since then? Well, the reason is because they offered promises of utopia that sounded more attractive than the Christian kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is in the future, invisible. Utopia is in the now, in the present, in the here and now that's exactly the argument that engels used as to why communism would be successful and that's still true to this day so that's the main reason and whereas with china we have to confront them militarily economically politically and ideologically on all levels we cannot allow chinese intimidation to get us to back down to accept their hegemony.
1: Why have traditional religions not been able to prevent the spread of Marxism?
0: I believe the reason is that they don't have within themselves that ideological framework to do that. If you think about Christianity, for example, which is the most relevant case here, there's nothing in the scriptures that anticipates Marxism or communism or fascism. But as I mentioned before, Marxism is an ideology. It claims to be scientific socialism. It's not scientific. But that failure in Marxism has to be identified and attacked from a theistic point of view. You know, in other words, the answer to Marxism is a theistic-based ideology. That ideology needs to be elaborated, needs to be taught. People need to understand it. So when they see the left, when they see Marxism or Neo-Marxism, first of all, they can recognize it and identify what they're fighting with. And secondly, they have the tools to overcome it.
1: What is the Cain-Abel paradigm?
0: The Cain-Abel paradigm is the way that good eventually overcomes evil. And it's the... Resolution of the relationship between Cain and Abel based on Abel's terms. In the original story of Cain and Abel, Cain was jealous, resentful, bitter, and eventually he murdered his brother Abel to get his way. Because of that, everyone lost. Cain lost because he was banished. Abel lost because he was dead. So, God could not work through Cain or, Cain or Abel because of Abel's murder, of Cain's murder of Abel, excuse me. So what we need to see is Abel gaining ascendancy over Cain. Abel is not violent. He's, he's more forgiving. He's more understanding. He's more patient. He's more loving. So whereas Cain was willing to kill Abel to get what he wanted, Abel is willing to sacrifice himself to free Cain from the influence of evil. That's a huge difference. So, the Cain and Abel paradigm is the dynamic between them through which God seeks to see the triumph of Abel over Cain, ideally through nonviolent means.
1: Why is the present time important?
0: Marxism represents the perfection of Cain-type ideology. And Neo-Marxism simply takes it in a slightly different direction, but it's part of the same phenomenon. So if Cain has reached his zenith ideologically and in terms of power, world power, which we saw in the rise of the Soviet Union and continued in communist China, then surely the able side in the providence also must reach its zenith. So there's like a final battle, a final war between good and evil being fought out. That's why we need to understand what that battle is and what our role is in that battle.
1: How can diverse peoples and groups work together?
0: The providence that we've discussed precedes all divisions, whether they're racial Religious, class, ethnicity, because the providence has its origin in the creation. So, because it proceeds, because the providence precedes all divisions, it transcends all divisions. Therefore, every group, every group, Belongs within the providence. Every group has a part to play within the providence. If we think like that, then we can understand that the level that God is working on is that level, a providential level. From God's point of view, every person belongs in his providence. So we, in our divisions, in our denominations, in our sects, in our religions, are not at the same level as God. All of us belong together, so we have to be able to overcome the divisions between us, among us, in order to be part of the providence successfully. So the providence will be successful when people of all different groups are able to overcome their differences and work together for the sake of God.
1: And what is our personal responsibility and why is that so important
0: the personal responsibility is absolutely critical it recognizes that the relationship between god and human beings is a relationship of a parent to children children are similar to their parents in many respects god is a creator passed his creativity to human beings We have creativity. We can create good or evil with our free will. Our responsibility is is to learn to exercise our free will in line with our original purpose, true to our original nature, our original mind. God cannot do that for us. Nobody can do that for us. But we have to do that for the sake of the providence and for our own sake. We cannot become our true selves until we have matured in that way. This is always true. It's true in history. It was true. It's true at every stage of the providence. The Cain-Abel relationship is reconciled or resolved when Cain and Abel both fulfill their responsibilities. Otherwise, it's not. A good way to look at personal responsibility is through the the lens of the famous quote from uh, John Stuart Mill. It's usually attributed to Edmund Burke, but it's actually Mill. And he said, all it takes for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. In other words, for good men not to fulfill their responsibility. So I think we need to complete that idea. All it takes for the triumph of good is for good men and women to fulfill their God-given responsibilities.
1: Okay, this concludes the Preface with the author Thomas Cromwell.